This is Wildfire, the B2B Under 30 podcast on MarketScale. Here, B2B's youngest stars share the ideas, concepts, and innovations that are catching fire in the fastest growing markets. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. As a creative, we all know the dreaded struggle of having to play the game. Creating art is only part of it. Turning that into a profitable business and having to run social media, branding, networking efforts, that's the game. It can drive a lot of creatives away from their craft or turn them into dishonest representations of what they wish they could be. For Callie Newman, a self-published author, she deals with this struggle every time she logs onto social media or flips open her ideas word document. That doesn't mean she's not staying honest with her craft, though. On this entertainment episode of Wildfire, Callie dives into how she's playing the game and what she's learned about creating an artist's image and turning it into a business. She gives us insight on challenges within the publishing world, how she crafts honest characters that still speak to audiences, how she's learned to read the publishing industry to gauge what readers are craving, and overall, how to stay sane and whole in the unforgiving world of an author and a creative. Callie, how are you doing today? Doing well. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. This is our, well, this is at least my first in-person podcast for MarketScale, <laughs> and I'm glad it's a wildfire because I always have a lot of fun with these, so you're the honorary first in-person wildfire guest. Thank you. I'm honored. Yes. <laughs> yes. We'll get you a plaque or something. Perfect. Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> um, so you are an author. Yes. Beautiful. Love it. <laughs> and you also work for On The Move. Yes, I do. And you are, at, at that company, you are a? I'm a marketing specialist. Love it. Have you found that that job and being an author coincide in any way? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Uh, Some skills, you know? That... Yeah, marketing is a huge part of being an author, especially if you're going to be self-published. Yeah. Um, a lot of people think that after you write the book, the hard work is over. That's not the case. <laughs> you yeah. have to sell it just like everything else. So we like to blend the word author and entrepreneur to make authorpreneur. Ooh. So you have to you have to know how to balance the art of writing with the business of selling. So working it on the move definitely helps with that. Learning different ways to market to different kinds of people always helps. Love it. So I got to know, what are you reading right now? Like, what are some books that you've just been really into uh, and why? Uh, right now, I'm reading a new one by Samuel Miller. The title escapes me. He's brand new to the scene, um, cool. but it's kind of a similar theme to uh, Her Heart's List and all that I'm about to publish. I love that. I love any kind of travel novel. I love young authors that kind of push the bounds of what we've seen in literature in the past and how we can kind of make it more conversational, kind of the way you see social media without losing the art of it. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm reading him right now, loving it. I just started it, but so far it's great. Amazing. Do you find that the kind of content you read reflects the kind of content that you want to write and put in your novels as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think particularly with young authors, but even kind of more traditional authors, we're seeing a shift into a more conversational literature style. Hmm. Uh, we're seeing Stephen King kind of started the movement of even using cuss words in literature, right. it's like unheard of, and now it's a little more flex, and using metaphor to talk about 
modern issues and that's not anything new, but how we interpret that today as in literature of the past is all really interesting. I definitely will read, I love female authors in particular, but I definitely read anybody that I think kind of speaks the same language that I do. Yeah, or just offers like an interesting perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So how did you find yourself in publishing? Um, were you always writing short stories and little novels as a young kid? Because I know for me, I was always drawing little comic books about like I don't know, Kirby or Captain Underpants or something <laughs> horrible. Right. That shows you what I was reading. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I feel like that journey is really cool into self-publishing. And I'd like to know what that was like for you, how you found yourself there, and um, what some of those first steps were for you to become self-published. Yeah, uh, it's kind of funny how your calling can be right under your nose and you don't even know it. Mm -hmm. I always wrote short stories and little poems growing up. I wrote songs, and then whenever I was like a preteen, I desperately wanted to be on Disney Channel, <laughs> but I didn't like acting so much. I hate whenever like people are looking at me so that doesn't make any sense but I loved the storytelling aspect yeah and I got into publishing whenever I was in college I had an accounting test coming up I'm terrible at math and anything to do with numbers so I was really stressed out about it I wasn't sleeping because I wasn't sleeping I started seeing all these blurs from the corner of my eye so naturally the conclusion that I jumped to is I'm schizophrenic I'm crazy <laughs> I like that's yeah, what's happening that, to me. That's the natural conclusion. Of course. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up talking to, or I was sitting in a coffee shop studying for my accounting test and started writing about how is this going to affect my life? What, like, how are certain scenarios going to change? And it ended up being a story. I ended up writing a novel instead of studying for the accounting test. So I got a D in accounting, but I published a novel. <laughs> so it all just kind of snowballed that way as soon as I got it started I was like well I'm halfway done might as well finish and now that I'm finished I might as well publish it yeah so, yeah it kind of found me right I love that and how did you go about taking that story and publishing it um did you have any help did you have any mentors to sort of guide you or was it all online searching googling it was all online searching it was a lot of research um I didn't really know anyone that had self-published or traditionally published. So that's a big reason why I decided to start my blog as well, because mm. a lot of the blogs that I found when I was researching were kind of geared towards nonfiction writers or people writing for business purposes. Sure. And I wanted to find people who were not already New York Times bestsellers, just getting into the game, right. kind of balancing things. And I wasn't really finding it, so I decided to kind of create that resource. But yeah, it was a lot of online research. Yeah, I'm sure that was pretty exhausting. It was tiresome Googling, for sure. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of I'm feeling lucky. I, you yeah, know, like, right, let's just let's see what comes up. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like just the advent of being able to publish your own novels um, is something that is sort of recent. I wouldn't say mm -hmm. it's it's like as recent as it popped up a few years ago, but within the last decade, more and more people just have access to creating their own content in general, which Definitely. I think has given rise to 21st century publishing mm -hmm. and that concept. So could you tell me a little bit about what that means to you and how 21st century publishing is different than what a normal person might consider just commonplace, like traditional publishing? Yeah, absolutely. So 
in modern publishing, books are still a product that you have to sell. It's very much a business. Mm -hmm. So traditional publishing houses will typically not pick up an unknown author because there's no way to test that market. They don't know if it's going to sell. Right. So a lot of people will self-publish first and then try to go to a house. But we've also seen a lot of traditionally published authors switch to self-publishing because they get ultimate creative freedom mm -hmm. and they get to keep more of the royalties. It's just a little more flexible than working for a house. So it's definitely changed a lot, but whether you're self-published or traditionally published, you still have to kind of embody that business person mentality and know how to sell it and know how to sell yourself. We've seen a huge shift from people just buying products to really buying who sells the product. Do you think that when people self-publish, they know what they're getting themselves into? Do they know that it's also kind of a business job, a marketing job, as well as a creative writing job? No, <laughs> I really don't. I certainly didn't. Yeah. Um, I think people really think the heavy lifting is just the writing the novel part, right. which obviously it is. But then you realize you've only run one lap out of this mile and you've got a lot left to go. Yeah. And you're probably not going to become J.K. Rowling with one novel or even 10 novels. Yeah. So it's, it's a learning process for everyone. It's mm -hmm. never going to be the same for any two people. But I think people believe that once the book is out there, the content will speak for itself and that people will find it. Sometimes that happens, right. but normally, you know, a shout into the void is nothing. You have to show people, lead them to the good content and then have them fall in love with right. it. Right, right. That's, yeah, I feel like that is something that every creative has to deal with. I, uh, me and my friend make music together mm -hmm. and... You know, we thought we put out our first song and, oh, it's so good. Everyone's going to love it. And got maybe like 30 listens. And <laughs> it's still good. Like, I'm going to die by the fact that it's a good song. But that's not enough. Like, creating art and making it good is the bottom line. Yeah. But the hardest part that I've learned and that clearly you've learned is finding the connections, yes. getting it in front of the right people, and really learning that being a creative like you have to play the business game you do as unfortunate as it sounds like you have to be a little cutthroat sometimes yeah. with the way you get your content out there like what kind of experiences have you had of really trying to get your books in the right venue in front of the right people like how did how did you go about doing that it's a lot of trial and error and it's a lot of slow learning. Mm -hmm. It's kind of frustrating because I think a lot of people struggle with well I'm an artist I don't want to be a business person right but you have to get people to read it or to listen to it or to see it or whatever it is that you create if you want to create art and share it with the world you have to show the world that it's there right so I learn in any way that I can I research relentlessly I love going to book fairs and talking to experienced authors there I love um, I do a lot of paid advertising just to kind of get a feel for what people are looking for. I do some paid courses, but a lot of those are kind of scammy. So <laughs> everybody, you know, look out for that. Right. <laughs> don't give your email out all willy-nilly. But yeah. um, I do some. I just try to learn as much as possible and see how I can take that and apply it to myself. And it's a lot of trial and error. So Definitely. you have to be willing to kind of fall on your face a couple of times. But the one time you get up, it's great. It's amazing. So just hang in there for that time. Yeah, so you mentioned being able to put out some paid advertising mm -hmm. has helped you gauge 
what a customer base is looking for in yes. its novels and kind of what they're most receptive to. What have you found that book consumers nowadays are looking for in the presentation of their novels, mm-hmm. in the kind of content, um, and just sort of how you market them? It's really interesting for me because if I had it my way, I would love to just write books, kind of put them out there, and then that be it. Right. But you have to be there for what people want because, again, they really are they're going to buy me before they ever buy my book. Right. So it's hugely different between Instagram and Facebook and blogging. Instagram loves to see – I post a bunch of pictures of book books and things, but – the most activity that I get are pictures of me, mm. which I don't like at all. I would rather not do that. <laughs> right. Um, and YouTube is another up and coming thing. I never would have considered doing video. You know, I blog. I like to write. My audience likes to read. Why would video be effective? Right. But it's actually hugely effective. Mm. So it's just been a lot of interesting things, things that I never thought would work. So my advice would just be to try it and see. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work and you stop doing it. I like that what you've found is being like a little more human about your Mm -hmm. posting and your advertising has paid off because that has been something that I've noticed too with, with the stuff that I've tried to put out creatively is the art in and of itself people might get behind, but people like to stan like the person yeah, right absolutely. people people like to be a fan of the person for for the artist for what they represent for the kind of clothes they wear you know yes. I mean, their fashion like all that stuff your image and your branding plays so much of a role in making sure your art is successful and i think that that is a hard realization to hit as a creative because yes. it kind of makes you feel like you're selling out almost a little bit like yes. okay i have to I have to put on some image, but as mm-hmm. long as what you're putting up is you and is honest, yeah. then like no one can hate you for it or no one can call you out for it because if no one likes your stuff, well then sorry, I'm just being myself, right? Right, exactly. And you can't sell to those people, so who cares? <laughs> right. you know, they're not for you. Right. That's people definitely get caught up in kind of that sellout mentality, but you got to do what you got to do. And sometimes it can be really fun. It's fun to kind of get to know the people who like what you like because it, it's inspiring and it's humbling and it, it's really just fun to yeah. interact with those people because you can say, here's what my novel's about and people will be like, oh, okay, yeah, let, that sounds kind of cool. Right. But if they like the artist, they are way more willing to help them out. So I love reaching out to people. I've gotten to meet a lot of, well, electronically meet a lot of great people. Mm-hmm. E-meet. Uh, E-meet, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, And it feels like we're friends and that's great. And we support each other and I wouldn't trade that for anything. Yeah. I love that. Community around the art is important. Yeah, absolutely. And we're all in the same boat. You always think that you're the only one feeling a certain way. And then you reach out and find out you're among thousands feeling the exact same way. Definitely. And that's really comforting. For sure. Yeah. It's always good to have someone like in your corner for your art. Yeah, absolutely. So... Next thing I want to ask you is just about the industry in Mm -hmm. general of publishing and being an author. I feel like there are maybe a lot of misconceptions around the state of the industry. Um, I think for just a general consumer of novels, you might think, oh, books are dying, Kindles are in, right? Mm -hmm. But I feel like that might not be completely representative of how people are consuming their novels and their media. So walk me through a little bit of, since you've been a self-published author and you've been in the space, what kind of misconceptions around 
being an author and a publisher you've seen Mm -hmm. and how you're trying to address them or change the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely a huge misconception that publishing and books are dying out. Mm -hmm. Most movies are books. Books are alive and well. There were more books published this year than ever before, and it keeps climbing. Really? Yes. And the sales are climbing with it. You, we've seen a decline in traditional book stores, as in the mega stores like Barnes & Noble, but the little independent bookstores are doing well. Used bookstores are doing well. So the industry, I think, is fine. It's just in a transition period. Kindle and other e-readers are hugely popular, but a lot of people don't want those. You have to spend... X amount of dollars on the actual device itself and then keep buying the book. Some people still like the texture, the smell. I'm one of those people. Same. But yeah, absolutely. So there's something for everyone and we're definitely in kind of a transition period, but it's on the up and up. There have been no signs that the industry is going anywhere. So it's definitely changing, but I think we're going to see some really positive changes. Yeah, I think there's something really special about the smell of books. Yes, I uh, love it. It's one of, I think it might be like my favorite smell of all time. It's walking, definitely mine. Walking into Barnes and Noble and just getting mm-hmm. that. Uh, yes, mixed with the coffee. A fresh book, yes. Heaven. Heaven. Love it. Wow. I need like a scratch and sniff of that. Yes, yeah, I, right? I could, someone bottle that up. Yes. Make it a candle <laughs> and I'll buy all of them. Honestly though, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, I think what keeps books around is kind of what has made vinyls get a resurgence as well. The utility of having that piece of media you can read or listen to or whatever, consume, but it's also like a memorabilia thing. Being able to display your collection of books or your collection of vinyls or whatever it is. Because though Kindles and those music streaming or any sort of emerging technology or ubiquitous technology has made things easier, Mm -hmm. right? You can access anything at the snap of a finger. Like you can't show people your collection of books on a Kindle. You know, no one wants to see like, check out all these books I haven't scrolled through. (laughs) You want to be able to show them your bookcase and organize by genre, organize by author, like that kind of stuff for people that are nerds about whatever they like to consume. Mm -hmm. It's really important. And I don't think being a nerd for media will ever go away. No, and we're never going to stop valuing the art of storytelling. I mean, we drew stories on cave walls. Right. It's never going away. How we receive the story may change, but that love, that kind of like you said, displaying it, being surrounded by your favorite stories, whether it's digital or a tangible product, that's not going anywhere. You know, so it's it's an exciting time. Books are doing really well. More authors join the market all the time. So Yeah, I think we're headed in a really good direction. Definitely. So that whole trend of digital not completely overtaking Mm -hmm. the physical uh, space of books. Yes. Have you noticed that impact the way authors push their books out? Like when an independent author enters the space, how do they typically think they need to publish their book? Like just digitally or printed copies, and how have you felt that uh, work for you? Have you gotten more digital sales? Have you uh, found people actually wanting to purchase the physical copy? Um, And how does that play into the way you market your book, too? Well, the great thing about digital is they're not competing against each other. They kind of go hand in hand. Okay. So for me, I don't care how you consume my story. (laughs) Right. I just want you to read it and feel what I was trying to portray. Definitely. But 
a lot of times a great marketing tactic for authors is that the actual book will be on sale and the e-reader portion of it will be free Mm. or a dollar or 50 cents or whatever. So you can kind of spread the story to get some buzz going. And after that spreads, more people buy the paper version of the book. So whenever I've put a novel out, the digital copies go first, definitely. But after it kind of spreads around, people will get the physical version. They can share it. A lot of people buy it just to support me. I've had people buy it so I can sign it, stuff mm. like that. So they, they're they not these competitors. It's not David and Goliath trying to take right. each other over. It's a partnership. It goes hand in hand. And I think you're really selling yourself short if you decide to just put out one and not the other. Right. The digital almost acts like a trial run sometimes for people. They get to consume a bit of it for a low cost or for free. And if Mm -hmm. they like it, hopefully, you know, by chapter two, they're like, I want to read this on paper. So I'm going to hold off, order it and finish the book there. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people will do that or they uh, like to make notes in it or yeah. if they decide it's their favorite then maybe they want to put it on their shelf to display their collections and things like that right. so they really go hand in hand I prefer physical books but I don't have any beef with digital readers however you decide to consume a story as long as you're reading doesn't bother me I think that's the important mentality is not being afraid to get your music or oh. Wow, my, now you know where my head's at. <laughs> to get your books, your media, anything in front of as many people as possible yes. in any form because you don't want to gatekeep the way that people access your media because then you're – it's like you're cutting off your own head. Like why right. why would you limit the way people can consume your stuff? Put it put it up for free on SoundCloud. Put it up for free yeah. on Amazon. You know, like, like get it out there. Get in yes. front of many people as possible and if they like it, they like your brand. You know, you've been building a self-image. It's it's all the game. It's all playing the game. Right. And you definitely have to kind of build that up. If you're in it for money, you are in it for the wrong reasons. <laughs> right. <laughs> Get out now. Right. No, <laughs> but um, yeah, the biggest part for me is I love people to read it and then come to me and tell me, here's what I thought. Here's what I got out of it. Here's right. what this character meant to me. And it's so interesting how no two people receive the same story the same way. So I can't get there if my book is too hard to get. Right. You know, I want to spread it out as far and wide as I can. That's the whole point. Definitely. So, yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to take a short break. Okay. But when we come back, we're going to talk more about your newest book. Perfect. And I want to dive into a little bit more about how you get into your creative headspace when okay. writing. And just chat a bit about, yeah, those struggles of an artist, right? Like mm-hmm. how you communicate an idea to the page how you find the right subject to talk about that's still true to yourself, but also will appeal to people. You don't want to ostracize an audience. Like all those really intricate balances that I don't think consumers of the media think about often when uh, just thinking about the artist. So yeah, yeah, I'm excited to dive in, but we'll be right back for that content. I want to sing to you my melody. We can get lost in the magnetic rays. Losing the time that makes the day. Just melody 
about your newest book. So tell me a little bit about what it's called and give me your elevator pitch on it. Sure. So it's called Her Heart's List. Basically, it's about two young women. Um, one passes away and leaves a bucket list. The other receives her heart for uh, transplant and completes her bucket list to honor her life. Along the way, she finds out that her death may have been a little more sinister than everybody first thought. So it's a really heartwarming piece, kind of about how your life can go in two separate ways, but kind of connect you at the same time. So I'm really excited to get it out there and have people read it. Yeah. When does it come out? It's going to come out at the beginning of September. I don't have a date nailed down yet because I just got the manuscript back from the editor, but it'll be beginning of September. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a really moving topic. I like that. I like stories about like two souls coming together in really yeah. distinct but honest ways. Um, how did you choose that topic? When you sat down to write your story, how did you begin to frame that narrative? Uh, my mom has a really close friend that received a couple organ transplants. And she talked about her experience and she got to meet the family of her donor. And I'm an organ donor myself. I've always just been kind of fascinated with that. Um, how one person's body parts can kind of work in another. I don't know. It sounds kind of gross, but (laughs) I just think it's really interesting. So I was thinking about, you know, if I were to receive a donation or give one, how would that living person kind of honor that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I got to thinking about bucket lists and it kind of snowballed on top of that. And I just thought I wanted to kind of say a certain message and this was just how it came to me. Gotcha. Love it. And then when deciding how to write your characters Mm -hmm. and give them a voice, how do you go about doing that? How do you get in your creative space for that? Um, Do you draw inspiration from real people? Do you try to embody like your values and your characters? Do you go in like completely out of left field and make your character someone you would never interact with, but it's still interesting, right? Like how do you go about that process? Uh, well, yes to everything that you just said. Love it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it makes me sound a little silly, but I like to say that characters introduce themselves to me, mm. and then I kind of develop them. Cool. So I like to use things to expand on their personalities. I get like a very generic version of them, or I design a person and what I need them to represent for the story, and I build up what I call a character Bible with all of their traits and their favorites and their birthdays and everything so that I don't mix any details anywhere in the novel. Right. I give them zodiac signs. I give them Hogwarts houses. I know them backwards and forwards. Like there's true Scorpios and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yes, because I'm not a big zodiac believer myself, but the personality traits are pretty confining and normally pretty accurate. Yeah. So I like to use that to kind of build on here's whenever I imagine their birthday is, and I go check the sign, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, yes, this is it. Right. So I like to build them, even if that is never mentioned in the story, it's something that I want to know because right. it, it would describe how they drive decision-making and things like that. So, yeah, uh, making characters is one of my favorite parts because you really, 
I think we can't help but draw inspiration from real people. Mm-hmm. You have to be very careful with that because people will look for themselves if they know you yeah. in your novel. No matter how many times you say, that's not you, if they're seeing a reflection of themselves, that's right. completely on them. Right. But <laughs> you have to be careful not to make caricatures of people. Right. That'll yeah. get you in some trouble. Right. You don't want to get sued. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... I think an interesting cross-section now between the business side of things and the creative side of things is selling your readers on a character. Mm -hmm. So when you are writing a character and thinking them up and trying to give them some life, how do you also consider the side of, okay, how am I going to make my readers like this character or hate this character but, like, love to hate them, right? Like, all that kind of stuff. How do you get about intersecting getting people to enjoy your art, but also creating authentic, honest characters. Yeah. I think I try my hardest to make my characters a certain way, but how everyone perceives them is going to be different. Mm-hmm. There's no real way to control that. What I like to do is use the character's actions to kind of drive a thought in the reader, like especially if it's a character that you love to hate. Like or, Dolores Umbridge or something like oh, that? Oh, no, I just hate her. <laughs> I hate her. <laughs> but, yeah, kind of that thing where Dolores Umbridge is a good example because she's so pink and fluffy, but you absolutely hate her because right. she's a monster. But how does that make us think about our perception of pink, fluffy people? Right. We would assume that they're sweet, but they're not. What does that say about us? I like kind of spinning that web, and I really like using characters – driving people to make assumptions about characters and then proving them wrong because people are complex you can't box them up yeah sometimes you can get close but for the most part people are wild cards (laughs) you can't do that so you can't do that with your characters either right yeah i guess it's kind of like you have to let them speak for themselves and then if people don't relate to them that is just part of it i mean Mm -hmm. someone might not relate to the character because they have nothing in common with them. But that's fine because as long as you are portraying them in an honest and realistic way, they can still enjoy the piece of media, the book, you know, the music, the movie, whatever. Right. And it's even if they don't really connect with that character's personality, I really want them to connect with the decisions that character makes, how they drive the plot. If I were in that situation, what would I have done? How do I feel about what they did? Does it make me hate them more? Does it make me love them? Am I now confused about who they are? Mm -hmm. Because especially since I write typically younger characters, people are always changing. And a lot of times, first well, every time, first impressions are pretty much never correct. Right. So I like to do that with characters too. So another layer of this is just you as an author Mm -hmm. finding the right creative space and the right moments in time in your day to create these characters to put those ideas to paper right pen to paper how do you go about getting yourself in that right creative space how important is that to you to you know like prepare yourself to kind of get into the writing mode or is it one of those things that you have an idea you whip out the notebook and you jot it down how do you go about getting pen to paper it's definitely both. If an idea hits you, you have to write it down or you're going to lose it yeah. and be so angry about it forever. <laughs> right, right. So I definitely will just be out and about grocery shopping or whatever, stop dead in my tracks, make a note in my phone, keep going. Right. Sometimes it's a dream that wakes me up. But 
most of the time you have to sit yourself down and say, I'm going to work today. Mm -hmm. And that can be the hardest part, especially if you work a nine to five, you're tired. A lot of times you're not feeling like it, which is kind of a funny thing because you love it. It's your passion. Right. But whenever it's time to do the work, it's like, oh. We are speaking the same language here. I totally understand. It's so strange. It's like, I love it, but uh, the office is on. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Right. It's, it's honestly how, like, it's, it's kind of sinister almost in a way, like the way that life pushes you away sometimes Mm -hmm. from wanting to work on those things because you're so tired you come home, you eat your dinner, and it's like, I kind of just want to play a video game right yes. now. And, like, that's healthy. you got to balance it. Yeah. But, but yeah, how do you motivate yourself? How do you get yourself out of that rut and say, all right, it's time to work? And even if it's a little challenging to begin, like, how do you give yourself that first kick? My biggest thing is I have to get a little uncomfortable. If it's a weekend, I have to change into working clothes. I'm not a right in my PJs in bed kind of person. Yeah. So I have to put on the right clothes and I have to leave my house. If I'm at my house, it's not going to happen because I'll find something to clean. I'll find anything. (laughs) So I like to go to a coffee shop. I get a drink. That's my treat. And then as soon as I open my laptop and get going, as soon as you start writing that first little bit, it just flows and you're reminded why you love it. It's really just getting yourself there. That's the hard part. Definitely. And then once you're there, Mm -hmm. whole nother thing is trying to self-edit yourself a little bit and like when you put an idea down you're really happy about it you come back to it 30 minutes later and it's like wow that sucks right like how do you go (laughs) about trusting your gut and saying no I'm gonna stick with this idea how do you edit yourself do you bring other eyes into the process early on do you wait to send them stuff when you feel like okay this is done what is your your creative editing process I never bring people in early. I might tell people about the idea, Mm -hmm. but sometimes I don't want to say ideas die, but they kind of go on the back burner. And then two years later, I'm like, oh, wait, if I use that same story, but kind of adjust it this way, it would be really interesting. But with, I like to say that, you know, sculptors get their block of clay and they make their masterpiece from the clay. Writers have to first create the clay and then make the masterpiece from it. There's an extra step. (laughs) Yes, so just whenever those beginning steps, just get all the terrible, messy ideas, don't worry about the syntax, don't worry about your grammar, just get it out on paper, and then you can go back and edit it, and edit it a million times before you decide, oh, this sucks. And I think every artist looks back on their work and is like, this is terrible, why am I here? (laughs) Right. (laughs) But you have to kind of trust yourself that you're feeling this drive for a reason, And then whenever you feel comfortable, I like to give people really small nuggets of information at a time. Like I'll just tell somebody what the idea is about. And then that small encouragement of, oh, that sounds like a really good idea. Like, great, then it must be. I got one person's approval. That's all I need. That's all the gas I need for now. And then you can kind of keep putting out stuff like that as more self-doubt sinks in. You really just have to believe in yourself. Every artist takes a risk anytime they put anything out. So you just have to believe in yourself, and if it falls flat, then lesson learned, move on. As long as you like it, you've said what you felt you needed to say, that's all you can ask of yourself, and I don't think there's any shame in that at all. Yeah. Honestly, it's kind of a funny like switcheroo the way this works is when you don't think about the game and you don't think about playing the business game, you're so much less – 
or you're less self-critical. Yes. And that's good, right? You just like have the art, you put it out there. You don't really think about what people are going to think about it. And that's a pretty honest representation. But there's another flip to it, like thinking about how people are going to consume it mm-hmm. and the best ways to get it in front of people is important. Mm-hmm. But the more you get yourself in that headspace, the more that your art starts to feel like, oh, are people going to like this? Yes. Like, is this really going to fit the mainstream vibe? Yes. Like that. And it just, it sucks. It does. Because you have to be able to do both. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It is really hard. It weighs on you the whole way through. But it's just kind of part of it. Even if you didn't have to focus on the business aspect, you would still be worried about, are people going to perceive this the way that I'm trying to say? Right. Are people going to be offended by this? Are people going to just think that this is terrible and throw it away? And the answer is, yeah, some people aren't going to like it. Right. But that's okay. Nobody, if your art is liked by everyone... Something weird is going on. Right, like, <laughs> right. That's not good. You're then either you didn't take any risks. you're either like the next messiah, or or there's some like or right. It's not really that challenging of yes. a piece of art, right? Yeah. If if everybody likes it, then maybe you didn't take the risk that you were trying to take. Right. So you just have to kind of speak your truth and do what feels right to you. And as long as you feel good about what you've said and you stand by that message, then the rest is gravy. I love it. Mm. Delicious gravy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> on a biscuit of Pour a Pour it on your biscuit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Um, so the last thing I wanted to hit on with you is I want to know, I feel like you entered this space at a relatively young age. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why we're on Wildfire, yeah. the B2B Under 30 podcast. Going to plug it again. But, um, <laughs> but I think that presents a good opportunity for you to be a point of contact for other people in your industry, other people that want to be authors, Mm -hmm. maybe have tried and failed to like give them some advice. And you have a blog where you do offer that kind of advice to people, right? I do. Yeah. Uh, It's CallieTheAuthor.com. I'll plug myself too. Great. But uh, yeah, I think people get discouraged because of their age. When I first published, I was 19. And that didn't really mean anything to me, except for I kind of discredited myself. Yeah. It's like, I'm not a real author because I'm in college and I'm 19. Right. And even now it's like, well, I'm not a real author because you can do that all day long. Right. But you are. (laughs) Once you publish, then yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's the definition. That's the sole, like, the sole barrier is just doing it. Yes. I Like, there's that kind of imposter syndrome that I think people have where it's like, well, I'm not a real author. XYZ. Right. Are you a fake one? Yes, yes, you are. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting. But age is so irrelevant. Whether you are in high school or you're retired, if you have a story to tell, then tell it. Your age doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, basically, it's getting getting through your own head. Exactly. Like I think sometimes just you are your own biggest limiter. Yes, definitely. You are going to be your biggest critic forever. Yeah. And you, if someone spoke to you the way that you speak to yourself in your head, you'd punch that guy in the face. Right. Because that's terrible. Yeah. So you have to be willing to kind of get past that and take that risk and just put it out and kind of get at peace with it and see what happens. But yeah, don't limit yourself because you'll just regret it. Is that your biggest piece of advice, like in your blog and when you when you try to be that, you know, like a, a new standard for how people should treat themselves as independent artists and how you balance like nine to fives and being an artist? Like, 
what is your biggest piece of advice, I guess is what I'm trying to ask, for an up-and-coming author? And is it what we just talked about, or is there another layer? Yeah, I think I would just say, don't be afraid. You know, you're not the only one that feels the way you feel. You're not the only one that's struggling. I know that people try to put on this persona of, I'm super successful, and I failed once many years ago, but haven't since. Right. That is such BS. <laughs> that's, yeah. what, that's what I, I like to blog about, the trials and tribulations, and here's why it's difficult, but here's why it's worth it. It is worth it, so right. go for it. Love it. Well, Callie, this has been a wonderful episode of Wildfire. Thank I want to thank you so much for coming in and doing this in person. I think it just adds another layer of personability to the conversation, which is always exciting on my end. Yeah. Makes it easier. <laughs> um, so again, go ahead and plug your first book and your newest book that's coming out. And then any other blogs or any social media that you'd like to put out there, it's your time to continue to shine. I was going to say time to shine, but you've been shining the whole time. So Thank you. Um, Yes, my first book is called We're All Mad Here. It's available on Amazon and Walmart.com. Her Heart's List will be out at the beginning of September, Amazon, Walmart.com, and in a couple local bookstores in Texas. You can find out more about that at CallieTheAuthor.com or at CallieTheAuthor on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter beautiful okay thank you so much again for coming on yeah i really enjoyed it yeah this was a lot of fun yay and (laughs) thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of wildfire and if you'd like to hear previous episodes or some of our other podcasts you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts articles and video content from your favorite industries today's featured songs were vagabond and stay with me by aphrodisiacs If you like what you heard and want to hear more, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries to find all the music from the show. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time. Sway